Hey guys, it's John and Jake, episode 17 of VP Precision Podcast. We are in, just left Nashville, driving to the PRS finale. This time I'm riding shotgun and Jake is driving this luxurious GMC uh, car. Pretty fancy pants. SUV thing. Um, anyway, uh, we've got a bunch of questions. We, you know, we're trying to get back in the groove of these podcasts and so a lot of Q&A we want to hit today. Um, but we were headed down to K&M shooting facility in Finger, Tennessee, uh, for the Precision Rifle Series finale. So everyone's coming in from all over the place. Um, it should be a big, it should be a really good match. Shannon does a, a great job. There's pretty good amount of money on the line. A lot of good guys showing up. It's going to be a good time. It's kind of uh, unseasonably cold here, or I don't know if seasonably is the right word, but unusually cold. It was 15 the other day, I guess, in the morning, and it's been kind of freezing and stuff. So we fit right in. That's right. So, um, what uh, what do we what did we do yesterday? We did a uh, competition training um, uh, just outside of Nashville. So it was it was just a really good training. A lot of uh, we had four individuals. Uh, we like to keep our training small. Obviously, you guys uh, know that. Um, really allows us to, uh, you know, kind of get a little more in, uh, intimate with each individual shooter, really dive into exactly uh, how they can get better. And all these shooters were really good. They, yeah. they started off uh, really good, and, you know, we just want to make them better. We want to try to make them world-class shooters. And so there was a few things that they were able to pick up and that we were able to, uh, you know, kind of give them um, that they were really excited about, uh, kind of take their game to the next level. Yep. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's it's interesting working with guys that are already uh, really accomplished shooters and, and know, I mean, it's, you know, everyone knows how to build a position on a barricade and stuff, but you kind of get into the subtleties of your shot process and follow through and, and, and some bigger things like leveling your gun, right, Luke? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we had a, it was really fun. Lee, uh, Lee put us up at his place, an awesome spot. It was really cool. It was fun to hang out with those guys. So yep. Um, yeah, that was fun. So now it's that was uh, that was Thursday. We flew down here on Wednesday. Yesterday was Thursday. Today's Friday. Headed down to the range to zero and uh, sign in. So tomorrow is the tomorrow's the big day, uh, the beginning of it. So uh, anything going on between? What'd you do between AG and this? I did nothing. My rifle sat in the case. Uh, I made a, a, a little bit of a mistake and left it in there because it was raining so hard at the AG cup. I put <laughs> all my stuff away wet. So I get to the match. So literally, I went from there. Um, I flew back on Thursday to Spokane. From Spokane, I uh, actually flew back with Jeremy Swanson. Um, so we flew back. We went straight from the mat or from the airport to the to my match so i ran a prs match which was you know thursday night friday saturday sunday uh so we went uh, literally straight to the match uh picked up my trailer so i did stop at home for about three minutes uh, loaded my trailer up picked it up had all the food had all the waters in it gatorades uh some more targetry that we were bringing over there uh, so on and so forth we went uh picked up the trailer and headed to the match location so we ran the match Match went really good. Everyone loved it. Uh, we're just really, really fortunate uh, with the weather. It was beautiful, like 55 degrees and sunny. A little brisk in the morning. Um, I think it was 22 or 25 in the morning. And then it uh, kind of heated up to about, you know, 50, which was, it seems like that's about perfect shooting temperature for me. 
Yeah. Just no mirage or very little mirage. And, um, you know, you, you can wear just like a thin jacket and, and go shoot. Yep. That's perfect. So that was the final PRS match of the season. Yep. Um, and uh, then, yeah, well, then to kind of play catch up. You didn't even get your gun dialed in for the use. Like, hey, it's hammering. I'm going to load the same load and rock and roll. The I literally one. just <laughs> loaded the same exact load from the AG Cup um, and loaded up another. I had about 40 rounds left over uh, from various lots of ammo and AG Cup stuff. So I kind of put that into a big pile. I loaded up another 250. So I brought 290 rounds down this weekend. I figured I'd shoot some. At the training, um, kind of showing everyone uh, a little bit of stuff. I, I, I really, I thought if I can go to the match with 240 or 250, that's going to allow me to shoot at K&M as well and have enough for the match and possibly have enough for, you know, 10 extra or whatever is needed. Yeah, so backup rounds. Just backup rounds or something goes down, you know, it's you just yeah. never know. Yeah, and so that's just another, um, we get questions of why this and why that, why not XC, why not Creed, why not something a little faster, and it kind of comes back to the BR, BRX, Dasher, BRA type of cartridges. Um, they're pretty easy to get away with not tweaking between matches, and that's a big big pro for a lot of those those kind of calibers that we're all running now. Yep. It's just you don't have to stress, like, uh, you load the same load and come back, and generally you're going to be pretty good. And That's so right. same with mine. I did, I did a small tweak to mine, but I, you know, I switched lots of bullets. So, um, you had to, maybe you needed that anyway. The but only just thing a I had was a little tents. bit of rust on my gun. Yeah, you just had to shoot stayed, that rust out. Right? It stayed in my, well, it was on the, probably on the inside too, <laughs> but it, was, it too. was on the outside for sure. Yeah. And so I just took it out of my case as, after we were already in Nashville for the first time, I just left it in the case, put more ammo in, yep. threw ammo in my backpack, and as I opened it up, I noticed that there was some kind of rust spots on the, you know, steel, you know, yeah. all, all steel parts are going to rust if it sits there in water. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and we put it away pretty wet. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a rainy one. So anyway, let's, uh, let's bust out. We're just going to try to catch up on a bunch of questions. So we'll cruise through. They're not related so much. They're kind of all over the place. Um, and we'll hit it. We got, we got seven or eight of these things. So, um, uh, first uh, from uh, VP Instagram, Shadow 6.5 asked, uh, when does focusing on the reticle come into the BTF process? The BTF process is Jake's process. He follows his uh, breathe, trigger, follow through. And uh, Shadow's asking, when does focusing on the reticle come into that process? So go for there, Jake. Yeah, good question. Um, and de definitely thank you for the questions. Keep them coming. We'll uh, see if we can get to them and throw them in uh, some podcasts. But yeah, th uh, thanks for the question. Yep. Uh, BTF is, you know, breathing, trigger control, follow through. And that's going to be really, I guess, between breathing and trigger control. Uh, when you're focusing on the reticle, focusing on the target, for whatever reason, I, I don't necessarily... And, and this might be normal. I kind of have like a 50% of my focus on the target, 50% of my focus on the reticle. And sometimes I'm, I'm just moving all the way, all my focus back to the target or back to what I'm shooting at. And then I'm just moving my reticle to that particular spot. So you, ha you obviously have to have some focus on the reticle, but you're 
after breathing before trigger control uh if that reticle is is wobbly if if you're not you know solid or stable you're probably not even going to get to the t of the btf you're not even going to get to the trigger portion of it because you probably shouldn't pull that trigger if you're not you know somewhat solid anyway and that's going to be you know focusing on the reticle focusing on you know uh, making sure that it's settling down um, whatever so it should it could be a position thing it could be uh, you know maybe one more breath is needed just to relax a little bit uh, really, really hard to say of uh, you know when that is for each person but probably between that B and the T somewhere uh, between br- uh, breathing and trigger and I think that's exactly you know kind of what I do what I focus on mm-hmm. uh, I think that's pretty straightforward we obviously can't pull the trigger until our reticles where we want it to be yeah. so um anyway the process i think the process is, is to slow down because it's easy for us to just move get your reticle close hit, hit the trigger the, the process of the of the trigger is to squeeze yep so obviously you're not gonna start squeezing until your reticles on so um all right next question um lars wit i think is how we pronounce it another yep. another instagram question and i can't afford a kestrel uh, which app should I use or which app do you recommend? So which, what, what ballistic app on your phone? Yeah. And uh, it's this is, uh, I don't know, somewhat fitting because I think Jake and I were both super late adopters yep. to the Kestrel. We didn't buy one either. Till forever. So I didn't get one until, was that beginning of last year? La- last year in March, I think, was the match yeah. that we actually both got them at the same time. We did. We were, we were at a match, and it was real windy, and we're, guys are talking about different, you know, um, you know, getting wind wind jump from one way or the other, crosswind jump. and we're We like, didn't believe it. We're like, is this real or not? And well, I've heard about it, play with it a little bit, but um, sometimes I think the Kestrel exaggerates exaggerates it, but it, I do believe it is a real effect. Um, so I, I do like the Kestrel now, but, however, we were very late to the game. I ran the Shooter app, um, and you ran Ballistic AE, right? That's right. And so we ran apps for years, and both had won multiple matches just using an app. So don't feel like, don't feel like you can't be competitive with an app. Um, they're very good. Um, I don't. I had the Applied Ballistics app a while back, um, and it was really glitchy. I believe that's fixed now. Um, it just it it just pretty much didn't work when I had it on my iPhone. But that had been a few years, so mm-hmm. I believe that's fixed. I've heard, I have the Hornady Ford Off app, which um, good stuff too. I've heard really good things about, and everything I've put in there seems to line up really well. I believe they don't use the, the BC functions, or they have the option to use their custom drag models instead of the BC numbers, which are I think are both good. So um, anyway, the moral of this is don't feel like you're held back because of not having a Kestrel. Get, there's a lot of good apps out there. There's Shooter, Blissic, I use Bullet Flight for years, which is really basic. Um, that doesn't have mover holds, um, so I, I know Shooter does. I know Ballistic AE does. So mm-hmm. you're gonna want you're gonna want those apps because of uh, it, you can also get lead holds when there's movers and matches. So um, anyway, check those out. But again, don't feel like you're gonna you're holding back or you can't be competitive if you don't own a Kestrel. So yep. um, let's see here. We're cruising through, and again, like if if. You need something more information or wants to go deeper into these shoot us a message and then we'll go through them from time to time and kind of add them up in a podcast like this so let's see here um i got a uh, hunting one from backcountry bounty um he said 
kestrel for hunting, kind of when and how do you use it versus range finding binoculars or a ballistic range finder like a Sig Kilo or is the Zeiss Victory RFs mm-hmm. like HDBs. Um, so personally, um, I really like, I have my Kestrel everywhere I go. Um, I th- it's a no-brainer. They're, o- they're obviously slower than a, a range-finding bino um, that does ballistic calculations. And those binos, I think, I mean, the Zeiss is amazing, the Leica, the Sig Kilo, all three of those, um, I think, I believe they take into account temperature, pressure, and angle. Uh, the ki- Sig Kilo cannot do angle, obviously, unless you input it because it's you're not ranging at the angle. So the, the binoculars do the angle compensation. They're super fast. They're very precise. The downside to the Leicas is they're an absolute nightmare to program. You can put, they are tough. You put one profile. you got to get on your computer. That's not a great app that Leica has. You have a micro SD card. You enter your profile in this micro SD. Then you put it into the binocular. And it's hit or miss. You need to. I've, it doesn't work very good on my Mac. It works better on a PC when you do those things. It, it's a total pain. Um, but although the, the glass and the rangefinder and the new ones are pretty darn nice. Yeah, they're good. Um, the Zeiss Victory has a killer. The Zeiss Victory RF has a killer uh, app with a Bluetooth interface. You can save, put a bunch of profiles in in the Bluetooth app. And you can sync those up in the field. So if you've got a truck gun that's really light and quick, kind of a five, 600-yard quick gun, and then you've got a big heavy gun, you can swap back and forth in the field really easily. Uh, that makes it nice. You cannot do that with the Leicas, I don't believe. I mean, you're switching chips, and it's it's just more of a hassle. So the Sig Kilo is great. I think it's got a good laser. It's just a you need that, and you're also going to be carrying binoculars hunting. So I feel like you can eliminate the Sig Kilo by having – uh, the Zeiss Victory. And I think SIG's got binos too. I'm not sure. Um, I thought they had the new set. the uh, With the ballistics in them, right? Yep, that's right. So I believe they do. I've never used those. Um, and the ones I mentioned I have used. Um, there's a lot of range-finding binos that are good. I mean, Swirl's got them. Uh, Loophole's got a great pair with a giant of a laser that ranges forever. However, they do not have the ballistic um, output in there, which I think is super valuable. So hopefully we'll see that soon. Um, but yeah. th- those are the main ones. I think the Zeiss Victory RF is leading the pack right now as far as user interface. I think that's super fast. The, the way I would implement a Kestrel in the field is if I'm going to take a really windy shot, a long shot with a bunch of wind, I'm going to take my time and get the Kestrel out. If I'm shooting, you know, five, six, seven, eight, hundred 100 yards, um, you, you use binos for quick drops, um, Generally, most of my animal shots have been early morning and late evening, and usually there's less wind then. So I haven't had to do big holds, and usually I'm just guessing that if there's a little bit, say there's a four mile an hour, then I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna hold whatever. Six inches right. Yeah, I'm gonna, whatever. Do, you know, depending on the angle and everything. So usually that's pretty much in your head. A good way to do that is to print out a a, a, a little cheat sheet for wind. Um, you could just put a 10 mile an hour at your, you know, you could just do 50 yard increments or 100 yard increments to get you in the ballpark. So a 90 degree, 10 mile an hour, and say at whatever, 800 yards, it's a mil. Um, you know, a five mile an hour is 0.5, and a 15 mile an hour is roughly 1.5. And so you can do quick math and splitting that in the field, but you could have that taped to your gun really quick where you've got, mm-hmm. you hit your range on your binos, you got instant elevation corrected for pressure and temp and angle and then you just look down you're like hey i think it's four mile an hour all right i'm cutting my my one mil to a 0.4 hold send it send and it 
So you can make really, really quick shots. I've made some, you know, some shots on animals where uh, there, I can think of one particular one in Colorado. It was the very last day of the season. I was working along this rim, and it was about 6.50, I think about 6.50 from the top of my rim across this little canyon to the top of the other one. Uh, this buck bumped out out of the bottom and is just on a line going straight up the hill and he's going fast and so I arranged the top of the hill I think I had 625 instantly got my dope spun my dope as I'm as I'm moving forward to get a pot prone lay down prone as soon as he gets to the top he pauses for a second and I shoot I mean it was such a quick thing where and you couldn't get away with that with a kestrel if you had to range that dig your kestrel out you know arrow up it's just a little slow so that's personally how I um, do a lot of hunting. I will pull out a kestrel on a long shot. If I think I'm going to take a particularly long shot on an animal, I'm going to, I want to do maybe a compass heading. I'm going to take more input and take more time. If I get on a real long shot, mm-hmm. um, then I'll pull the kestrel out. Cause generally you have more time. Um, that's kind of how I use it. Um, I, th- I do think those integrating the ballistic app into range finders is will continue to be the trend and it's so accurate and so fast with the ballistic engines they're putting in them now so mm-hmm. anyway any feedback or comments yeah, I, I, t- I typically take my kestra with me um and i probably hunt mostly coyotes so typically coyote hunting you're doing pretty fast shots as well i mean you see Absolutely. A, you see a yote you got to get on that thing because if he sees you he's out of there Yep. So I typically always take my Kestrel with me anyway, um, and uh, with those with those shots, uh, I also have a small ballistic chart that I've uh, laminated and punched a hole in. Mm-hmm. And what I can do is I can just keep that in my pocket, uh, or I can tape it to my stock. I can put it on my scope. I can do whatever I want with that. But it's just like a, a paper backup. Yep. And for for coyotes, it's not necessarily as as important as a thousand yard you know elk shot or or something like that in my opinion so uh you know if if we're calling them into three four hundred yards typically you can you can get away with a lot more at that particular range than you can at at the longer ranges so Mm -hmm. you're you're running um you know a mil or a mil five or, or whatever it is on and I, I usually hunt with my 308 uh, for all my coyote hunting. And so I know my drops are about a mil at 300 yards and about 1.8 or 1.9 at 400 yards, mm-hmm. uh, 2.7 or so at 500 yards. And so I already know that, and I have my rangefinder built in, it, or, you know, in my, in my binos. And I just rock and roll on that pretty fast. Yep. Um, and if I have a really long shot, Typically, I'm going to have time. If, if I have a, a coyote at, a, at well, let's just call it 900 or 1,000 yards, I really need to know what I'm doing with that 308 or else yeah. I'm, I'm going to miss it from a long ways away. So yeah. uh, hopefully I'm farther out, the animal doesn't know I'm there, and I can take my time and, and set up and make a really good shot that's, that's you know, well-educated and, mm-hmm. and well-figured out. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with it drop chart especially the uh you used to see those on every gun i feel like everybody had a, something taped to their stock or, yep. or something tied onto their scope you don't see that near as much anymore but man at that at those three four five six hundred yard range guys if you have a kestrel 
um, or a ballistics app and it's cold, the weather's nasty, you don't have gloves on, you don't want to pull a phone out or something, sketch up a, you know, when you get to your hunting location, pull DA or your pressure, whatever you're using and, and scratch out a quick drop chart. Mm -hmm. You're not going to miss, you're not going to miss an animal in those, you know, kind of 600 and in, you can get away with a lot of pressure variants and a lot of different things on quick shots. So don't be afraid to write something down, slap on your stock or something like that. It works super good. You know, we do a lot of long range hunting trainings as well. Um, and part of the stuff we tell our students is, you know, before they go to location, if they know their rough DA, um, and you know, rough temperature, do a couple of them, do one at 2,500 feet, one at 7,500 feet, um, or one at 2,500, one at 5,000. And they can pick and choose if they don't necessarily know which card they're going to run. And then that's the one that you can run. But, you know, they're just maybe like a, a two-by-four card that's laminated. That's all you need. It's waterproof. It's laminated. Yep. It's not going to get ruined. Yeah. It's got your, your quick references on it, and it makes it really fast. Yeah, I took a – I had a gun where I took a – for uh, the matches we shoot, I use those. I go on Amazon and get those cheap wrist coaches, those football wrist coaches. They're like yep. elastic with a, with a screen. And I've got – when I put in those for matches, I use three-by-five – um, little pieces of write in the rain paper. And Perfect. I've done that multiple times where I'll take a, my write in the rain paper and I'll write out a quick drop chart. And you can really organize that with those lines on there, no problem. I'll slap it in that wrist coach, and it's and it's stretchy. It slides over the buttstock perfect. And I just that stretch, wrist coach does. Yeah, wow. it stretches right over. Uh, you know, a traditional yep. style carbon stock. You know, obviously not going to work as good for chassis, but it slips over that buttstock. And I've and I've putting that on multiple guns when I'm in a jam or That's I'm lo- loaning it out to a guy. So. Just slip that over. And then you only give them dope. If I Like, I'll loan a gun out quite a bit, and I'll just, hey, you've got dope to 600 because <laughs> That's it. there's a lot of leeway there with wind and drops. There's a lot of forgiveness. I'm not going to give you dope to 900 because I don't want you taking that shot. You, you haven't shot enough to quite do that, per se. And so if I'm going to loan a gun, I write 600, and no matter, I'll get a rough idea where they're going, and I know I'll be plenty close enough that they're never going to miss a shot because of it so those little wrist coaches are pretty handy they're a few bucks on amazon they slide over there perfect so and they're right in the rain doesn't you have to worry about weather with that with a pin so mm-hmm. anyway um all right let's let's hit the next one thanks for the questions too guys yep, I, we, we do appreciate it um sorry for the delay some of these are a while back but it's good to catch up so um let's hit while we're on the hunting theme we had a guy um miterman from vp um instagram let me pull, I'm pulling up the screenshot of his question uh so he said uh, great podcast i like to get into prs shooting and he kind of goes on to shoot and veil looks really great i live in eastern oregon on a ranch and i shoot a lot of coyotes they get call shy so on and so forth most of my shots are 450 beyond uh, with a suppressor 90 percent of my kills are spot and stock um so he kind of talks about that a little bit. Um, I'd like, he wants to get, um, a he, he wants to get a gun that is flat shooting, fights the wind well. I'd like to be shooting out to 1,100 yards. What caliber would you recommend? Also, I was looking at a PRS style stock over my normal HS precision. What's your recommendation? Um, let's hit the stock thing real quick. Okay. Um, I've got HSs on a bunch of stock on some different rifles over the years. I really like them. That being said, uh, coyote hunting, depending on if you're shooting from tripod much, it would be nice to have a, a arca rail on the bottom of stock, which a lot of chassis have integrated into them. The mm-hmm. downside of a chassis is if you're doing spot and stock and you're out there in the winter a lot, which a lot of this is done when the, you know, they're out 
prowling and the and the grass is low and and you know their calves are out and all that stuff um they get stinking cold and you're in eastern, you're in eastern oregon i mean if you're out there in early morning and it's in the teens and 20s those all aluminum chassis are cold so you'd want to think about uh, you know, consider that with you know wrapping them or some sort of carbon elements that don't um uh that don't get as cold yep so any thoughts on stocks that's uh, for me anything that i'm going to run in competition um I'm going to try to emulate that with my hunting platforms. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's just familiarity. It's just uh, knowing that particular system. Uh, it's, it's, um, getting quick on the gun. And, uh, I run the, the XLR, which is the, the new element 3.0. It has the magnesium, um, chassis and it's got the carbon grip, carbon cheek piece, carbon mm -hmm. buttstock. So really everything that you're touching is carbon with the cheek piece, with the grip, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so for, for me, it's going to be, it's going to stay slightly warmer, but I've been out there with my 308, uh, doing coyote hunting in the snow and I've had a regular, my regular match rifle and that thing is cold. Yeah. If it's not wrapped, if it's not, uh, if you don't have gloves on, you just have a hard time holding on to it because you know, it's, it's a piece of metal that's also 30 degrees so you're grabbing onto a 30 degree piece of metal in the snow it it, yeah. it does make it tough so that's absolutely correct yeah so ultimately what, what you're comfortable with if yep. you're going to start competing I, I agree match everything up i like to do that um and if you can and if you're if you're gonna shoot off a tripod if you're gonna be doing that more um then you can think about the arc rail. Mm -hmm. If not, prone is prone, and, and I think either stock is fine. I do think yep. right now, if you can touch carbon, um, it's warmer. There's no doubt. You know, grip, cheek piece, like you said, on that new element 3.0, it's a super light stock. So um, anyway, that's thoughts on that. Um, as far as a gun, uh, Jake and I have a little bit. We talked about this for a second a little before. We had kind of went back and forth for a minute. But, Jake, you start with kind of what my you thoughts what your thoughts are so if you're just hunting coyotes um i've i've shot a lot of coyotes with 308 uh which which is kind of that bigger slower bullet uh but i would probably tend uh, more to push towards something like a 6.5 something that's accurate mm -hmm. fairly flat shooting um and it doesn't necessarily even need to be any sort of magnum which i guess you could um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know, John, John had some, John shoots a lot more animals and critters than I do. And, and his philosophy is slightly different, probably mostly from experience. So he's going to be a better, uh, you know, a better thing, but I've shot a lot of coyotes. I probably shot, you know, 250 or, or 300 coyotes yeah. in, in my lifetime. So that's a pretty good amount of coyotes. Yeah. Uh, most of them were with a 22 um, long rifle pistol, but uh, that being said, all my long you know long range shots have been either with a 308 or my match rifle, which is typically like a 6xc, a 6brx, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's there's some different philosophies. There's some really good coyote hunters and varmint hunters in our area. Um, and they do a lot of it, and they have almost the exact same philosophy that John has. So I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and, and let John speak on that. Yeah, my my initial thought is uh, 
this isn't a comp gun and you're not worried about barrel life. Yep. And so you throw you throw barrel life out the window and we're going we're going to go big um, because some of the areas I've hunted coyotes a lot in where I've done spot and stock long range um, have been exceptionally flat. And sometimes it can be hard to get ranges when they're out, you know, in a stubble field or and you're and you're relatively close to their level it's really hard to get a good laser range. You can have a variance depending on where that beam hits. Because when you get out there at a thousand yards, some of the older range finders, I know the Swarovski and the Leica were pushing roughly a six foot circle at a thousand yards is how big the beam, the laser beam is when it mm-hmm. gets out there. So, so you're trying to ping a coyote, your, your beam hits, you know, 40 yards, 40 yards in front of it, 50 yards in front of it, or you hit the coyote and you bounce back and forth. So there, to me, there's some range uncertainty depending on the train you're hitting. So because of that, I want more speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want a better laser. There are some range finders that have uh, really small beam divergence, which is when I was doing that a lot more than I am now. I, I bought a, a P- Vectronics PLRF-10, and it has a, it, at 1,000 yards, its beam was one foot, foot tall and three feet wide. So it was nearly perfect for ranging antelope on the flats and coyotes on the flats. Um, that being said, you do want a pretty flat gun. I haven't spent much time with, say, like a 28 Nosler um, or, or they, something. They are awesome. Those though. rounds. Yeah, you, you have a 28? I do. Yeah. And so to me, those are the kind of rounds that start to come up. Is like, hey, I want a fast, you know, a 6.5 SOM, maybe a, f- a faster 6.5 PRC, a, a seven, a seven wisdom, a seven psalm, a 28 nozzler, something with a really high BC bullet and, um, and more speed that with the 28 nozzler or even, you know, a bigger 30 cal to buck the wind and get the speed. I mean, I've shot coyotes with 338 Lapua improves, uh, <laughs> a lot of 300 ultra mags and I don't, I'm fine, but those are also heavily heavier platforms. I do like the idea of spotting your shots, which would be, yeah. That would be the only downside to say the XLR Element 3.0 is you're going to be on the lighter side with a Magnum, and you really want to see where those go, especially when you're out by yourself if you need to make a quick follow-up shot. Mm-hmm. So my, my thoughts would be I would go for a high BC bullet in the 6.5 or up range. Um, if you're talking about that 1,100 yard, you can get away with a lot at like that 800 and in. You could go hot 22 creeds or really fast sixes, or you could do that. But when you get out there further, especially in eastern Oregon, if the wind's blowing, I want more bullet. I want probably a big seven, a big 30 is what I would lean towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it comes down to bullet choice. So you got the new A-tips with killer BCs. Birder has always had really good BCs with, you know, the 195 7 mil, the 187 mil. Yep. There's there's just some killer bullets for those those 6.5, 7s and, uh, and 30 cal. And there's some hot 6.5s too. I mean, there's a lot of calibers at work, but I would not go on the slower, more conservative side. If I'm just hunting coyotes, I would, I would, make, it, I would make it fast and flat. So um, I hope that answers your question somewhat (laughs) appreciate it but uh fast and flat stock is a lot of personal a personal pick and one the one thought would be arc array on the bottom if you want to shoot off a tripod but if you're shooting 1100 yards you're not going to be shooting tripod as much i'm assuming so more prone um i guess a comment on that would be that new the the skypod three-piece would be killer oh, for gosh. F- killer for field shooting coyotes, and you could get away from the tripod just by having that bipod. So if you guys haven't checked out the Skypod uh, triple leg or triple extension, 
You definitely should. They are spendy, uh, but they I are very well made, <laughs> and and I really like them. Um, it's it's super adjustable. Uh, every single piece of train you're going to be able to encounter, you're going to be able to use that particular piece of uh, gear. It uh, goes, you know, all the way up to a sitting, goes from a kneeling, it goes, uh, you know, down to prone. You can shoot downhill, uphill, yep. really whatever you want. So if you're on a hillside and you're glassing, if you're on a hillside and you're, you're calling or whatever, it's almost like a perfect sitting down, you know, height where you can, you can uh, sit down on your butt, you can sit in a little chair, do whatever you want, and yeah. then you just, you're golden. Yeah, that, just a side thought. That by, I, I don't have one yet. I need to get one. But every time, you will, every once in a while, field matches, Jake will pull that sucker out, and then 20 people in a row will borrow it for the yeah, stage. Exactly. And it's it's a, a pretty valuable tool. So that's a side note. Maybe check that out, too, for, for what you're doing. So anyway, good luck. It'll be fun to see you out at a, at a PRS match. You'll get a lot of, uh, I, think you'd, I think you'd love it. Obviously, don't take a 28 nozzler to a PRS match. No, don't do that. So, all right. Um, next question. Uh, let's see. Josh Forbit, VP Instagram. Um, he, thanks for the... Uh, thanks for the podcast. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, can you guys talk about season practice and off-season practice? Is there a difference? Also, how do you find out that you're in a rut or you're stuck as far as practice sessions go? Thanks for all you do. Anyway, appreciate that. Yeah. Um, what what comes to mind for you, Jake? Good, good question. Um, for me, it's, it's going to be roughly the same. Um, during the off season, what I'll do is I'll actually uh, pick different things that I really want to work on, and I'll work on those just like a pro athlete would work on, you know, free throw shooting if you're a basketball player. So if they want to really perfect their free throws, they're not going to go do a bunch of layups. If they want to perfect their three th- free throws, they're not going to uh, do a bunch of dribble drills, um, so on and so forth. And just like us in the shooting world, if we want to perfect shooting off of a rooftop we're not going to shoot from a tank trap um so uh, in, in the off season i'll actually pick a couple different things that i really want to work on that maybe we're starting to see a trend of more and more mm-hmm. or maybe it's just something that you know uh, frankly i, I feel like I, i've been doing bad on lately or i've struggled with in a couple different situations so what i'll do i'll go to the range and I'll pick that particular one barricade. Let's just continue our theme with the rooftop. So I pick the rooftop. Uh, I'll shoot off that rooftop all day long to really perfect it. I'll shoot uh, from the strong side. I'll shoot from the weak side. I'll shoot from one bag on top. I'll shoot from no bags and a rear bag. I'll shoot from a, a sandbag and a rear bag. Uh, I'll shoot a steep. So our, our rooftop is, is kind of adjustable. It goes up and down to get that uh, steepness, you know, so we can make it slightly steeper. Mm-hmm. And so I'll shoot different levels of, uh, of, of steep, and then all of a sudden you've, you've encompassed everything with the rooftop, and you feel way more comfortable every time you go out and shoot. And I might shoot 100 or 120 rounds just from the rooftop. And I know it sounds kind of excessive, but it seems like most people, they go and they shoot three or or, you know, or, or five rounds or 10 rounds, they move to something else. They shoot three or five or 10 rounds of something else, and they go to, you know, a different prop. Well, in my opinion, you're not really gaining that muscle memory. You're not really gaining any information on, on what's going to work from you because you're not uh, truly practicing it. So mm-hmm. I'll practice froggy style. I'll practice uh, off my hip. I'll practice 
all these different Froggy positions. style? <laughs> you know, you got your I like it. Your feet down. I heard something knees else. Knees apart. <laughs> froggy style. Okay, I heard something else. That's all good. <laughs> what did you hear? I heard doggy style. Doggy style. Jeez Louise. So, uh, yeah, doggy style, same position. Yeah, froggy same, style, whatever. Same, same difference. Same thing. So anyway, you'll run. You'll run all these different positions and then find out what works for you. Find out what's more comfortable. Find out where you have, you know, uh, the the least amount of of reticle movement. Find out exactly where you're the most solid. And then you know during all these particular situations, uh, during all these different um, rooftops, hey, if it's, you know, a really steep rooftop, I'm really good doing X, Y, or Z. Or if it's a flatter rooftop, I'm good doing this or that. Yep. All of a sudden, now you've you've eliminated uh, the positions that you're actually not as as capable in. Because uh, again, everyone's yep. body type's a little different. I have a little more of a belly than you do, so on and so forth. And so now we're running into body types, positions, whatever we got to do to make them work. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So. So practice, practice. That's my off season is really what that is. Yep. And I'll pick one thing. During the season, because uh, he asked if there's a difference, and I believe yeah. there is a difference. So during the season, I'm going to do more tr- more tune-up stuff. So I'm going to do more on-the-clock positional stuff. I you know, I do my one, my one target drills quite a bit where I got 10 seconds to get down on a position and uh, pull that first shot. And I want to try to emulate match conditions, and I want to try to emulate match timing. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing it fairly quick, and I'm and I'm going through the motions of of perfecting that one shot, and then the rest of the stage, I'm literally just doing that again and again, and perfecting that one shot over and over again. Uh, I'll do that. I'll put myself on the clock, put myself on time, and then during the season, uh, one thing that's different is I typically won't uh, practice that way. Uh, unless I have maybe a little bit longer of a break where I can really dive into something. Because, yep. um, you know, I want to kind of do an overview of, of all of it. So I'll do a little prone shooting. I'll do some rocks and some barricades and some rooftops and a little bit of everything. I'll put myself on the clock. And I might even just go out there and I might do 60 one-shot drills. And so I have 60 rounds. I'll pick every different position on the range and I'll do one shot from this one, one shot from this one, one shot from this one. That's good. And then I've kind of uh, done an overview of all the positions, getting into position quickly and and, and transitioning. That's good. Yeah. And if you guys have a shot timer at all, you could, I mean, you do that 60 times, talk about a good average of knowing what it takes to build positions. Exactly right. So that's really good. I do things a little, a little bit different. I like, you know, the off season isn't long. Um, yeah, it's like 30 days. Yeah, but Jeez, Louise, but I do like to have uh, I like to have fun. So in the off season, so, okay. So during the season, I'm definitely more focused. And what I'll do is I'm gotten better and better at making notes in my matchbooks. And so, and I save all my matchbooks so I can flip back through matchbooks. Well, for one, the bad stages are I, I definitely I can usually recall a handful of them, so I'll I'll remember those. I'll look back through them and I'll see what I got to practice. Okay, why'd you screw up here? It's one thing to get have a just get really beat up by wind and just having it be switchy and having a bad stage, or having a stage where you you broke bad shots because the positions were bad. Mm-hmm. I can think of a stage in Utah those they had these spools stacked up. I broke a bunch of bad shots, and so that's something I want to practice. 
Um, and so I'll go back to my matchbooks and I'll look at things I need to obviously improve on. Some of those have been weak side. I'll have some weak side stages. So I have, I've worked on that during the season and, and then different things. But I do a lot of what Jake says yep. as far as just quick. I'll run the PRS barricade. I'll run a rooftop. I'll shoot the rocks. I'll shoot the tank trap. I'll shoot a weak side prone. I'll switch back and forth from weak to strong. I'll shoot a cattle gate. Um, just a variety of things. I'll do some holdover drills and just kind of basic, you know, just refresher through the season. In the off season, man, I love shooting. I've loved shooting for a long time, and I kind of want to have fun. So I don't do a whole lot while I've got... Sometimes I shoot a pistol. <laughs> a cap down, yeah, man, I'm excited to shoot some pistols. Uh, I, I got will do whatever. Sloan built me some Sloan Valdez and yeah. uh, built me some killer pistols. So I think my wife and I are actually going to shoot little pistol comps. She doesn't compete, but I don't either in pistols, so we're just going to go have fun. going to do a little bit of that and just have fun, get the 223s dialed in. Um, and just have fun, you know, like $2 stages with some buddies where, where generally we don't have a lot of time in the season because most of the free time is traveling to matches. Well, now we'll have some more free weekends. And, hey, why don't you guys come over? We'll shoot Saturday and just relax. And so I'll try to do a little more. We're just having fun with shooting again because I have fun at matches, but it does get to be – it generally is, is rushed for me where I'm – um, during the season, I'm working. I'm trying to get match guns ready. My practice time is definitely limited with work and family and travel. So I'm not I'm not doing as much. So I like to just I'm, I'm looking forward to the offseason for some pistol stuff, just playing around and having fun. So um, it does change. Um, I'm, I'm going to also work on some more hunting guns this, uh, you know, when I slow down. I got my 300 norm. I'm still trying to trying to get to shoot and I uh, got some tweaking to do there. And and, um, you know, I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of my routine. Is the winter time or the on season review and review? I shoot enough matches where I can review troubled areas and work on those, mm-hmm. and then quick overviews of just you know, like Jake said, just hitting hitting certain quickly over a bunch of positions, just tuning up. So, um, next question. Anything else on that that you can think of? You know, or? I think that's good. The biggest thing is to keep shooting. Okay. Um, one other question. He said. Okay. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Do Go you, ahead. How do you find out if you're stuck in a rut as far as practice goes? Yeah. You know, that that's going to be hard. Uh, you know, I guess you would you would know you're stuck in a rut if you're not getting any better or if you're not making any improvements. But a lot of it is mental, too. A lot of, a lot of that rut is a mental rut in your practice. So, you know, what's, what's going on through your head? What's, uh, you know, that's so hard to say, to be honest. But... For me, the the best shooters in the world, they all try to shoot a lot or they all try to do something in the in the shooting industry, Uh, whether they're training or or shooting, whether they're taking trainings, whatever they're doing, they're continually pulling the trigger and getting better and seeing the bullets fly and doing it again and again and again. And so that that's going to be something that where if you feel like you're in a rut maybe take a little break and come back all juiced up and fired up and get you know getting after it again because i know sometimes that helps me as well maybe if i got three weeks or a month off you know every once in a while sometimes i don't even touch my rifle for that three weeks Mm -hmm. you know i literally the week before the match on tuesday or wednesday i'll go out i'll get zeroed i'll do a little tune-up practice session and then that kind of re, you know, kind of rekindles it. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe after a, a four or five week on period where you're going steady for four or five weeks, you're just like, you know, I could really just have three weeks to go four buy in or go yeah. play poker or do something else. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm exact same way. I think 
I don't know, by definition, is practice a rut? I mean, growing up playing sports is like practice was work, right? So sometimes it does feel like you're just grooving stuff. You're like doing, hey, we just did this yesterday. We did this the day before. But yep. then you get a scrimmage, and then it's super fun, and you get to go to a match, and it's super fun. So, right. so sometimes practice is a grind. If you're just, I mean, if you're just grinding out, as long as you're doing correct form, you have a shot process, you're breaking good shots, you're just grooving those things more and more, even if you are in a rut. I do know what you mean by a rut, though. For, for a while, I'd get on the PRS barricade, and I'd run the barricade. I'd run the barricade. I had some holes drilled in the barricade, and I'd shoot through those. I'm like, okay, well, what else am I going to do? Like, you know, and and so I do know what you mean. I think for me, a lot of it came from errors at matches and just like, hey, I'm just going to take the weak spots at every match, you know, one or two bad stages or you hopefully you reduce those to zero, take those things and improve on those. So um, try to I, I don't think it would hurt to watch some videos, watch maybe some conducts videos. Uh, you know, yeah. if it's a prone stage, it's a prone stage. That's fine. But if they if they show a barricade or maybe someone's using a tripod rear or someone's you know quick transitions or a holdover just any ideas you can get from watching videos mm-hmm. or, or reading through a stage book or match book or stage descriptions online just recreate some of those maybe you yep. don't have to make it a 10 round stage make it make it five and just take instead of two shots at each target just take one and practice those transitions dialing holdovers it's just you got to be a little creative i do understand the rut by definition practice is kind of a grind too yep. so there's a balance there so and one, and one thing that i uh, will also do you, you mentioned some videos and not to necessarily yeah. toot my own horn but I'll go toot back it, bro. well I'll, okay <laughs> I'll toot it so I'll, I'll go back and I have my online training series um, that we have and yeah. obviously I have access to all those videos I'll go back during you know the times where I feel like I'm in a rut or I just need to refresh or maybe I don't even want to go to the range I just want to continue to stay involved well those are really good times to keep the, the brain engaged um, but not to go through the monotony of, of going through that. So, hey, I want to get better, but I just can't go to the range this week. <clears throat> so I'll watch a couple videos, and even though it's myself watching, you know, it's, it's me watching myself, really what I'm doing is I'm just hounding the techniques and the, the mm-hmm. BTF, mm-hmm. Uh, breathing trigger, uh, trigger control follow-through, or watching, you know, on a prop and just seeing over and over and over again uh, what I'm doing and then that kind of just refreshes it in my mind. So yeah, I'm not necessarily out there doing it, but it just keeps my keeps my brain engaged. It keeps me in the moment, mm-hmm. um, and it just kind of keeps me doing that, which is which yeah. is a you know a good bonus. Yeah, for sure. So all right, let's hit. No, uh, we got a couple more. Um, let's see here. Uh, what is this price to? I'm sure I price to 13 on Instagram. Um, he said, at what length of barrel you're running on your comp guns? And he talks about reloading books and factory loads, 243 coming. Anyway, talking about speeds. Um, and also, what are your thoughts on 224 Valkyrie? Um, I'm running 26-inch barrels. Jake's roughly the 26, same. Yep. A lot of guys are running 26. I know a couple guys. Didn't Steve Eames drop down to like a 22 for a while? Like, yeah, like a 1.25 straight taper to 22. Yeah, Big old fatty. just a giant tank of a barrel. So most guys are 22s. I know a couple guys that are running 28-inch BRs um, and getting really good speeds out of those. And some guys run 27. I know Joe has run some 27-inch dashers. But generally, that 26-inch range just seems to be where most guys are at. Yep. Um, as far as reloading books and factory loads, I, I don't know. I mean, I know a 243 can push a 105 a lot faster than 2900. 
Um, yep, sure can. Our dashers are going 29, 29.50. Beer X's, I think they're probably in the 31.50 range. Uh, 243 <laughs> will do that. So I, I'm not sure what to tell you there. Just start low and work up when you're reloading. Um, yep. Factory ammo is what it is. So uh, 224 Valkyrie, I don't have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, I've shot it. We shot it at a the internal finale. I think Federal had a gun. It was, it was pretty fun, and it was flat shooting. I think there were some some pressure issues with some of that early ammo that they fixed so i think it maybe the cartridge got a little bit of a black eye for a minute but again i'm, I'm not an expert um as far as thoughts on it i mean thoughts for what for fun maybe i just get a 223 um yeah uh, yeah for competition uh you wouldn't shoot anyway i wouldn't i wouldn't shoot it in a, in a comp um either i'd shoot a 223 and then you'd you'd qualify for tac class um for whatever and there's some some there i don't know i just i don't have a lot of i don't personally have a lot of thoughts i think it's it's made for a gas gun yeah it's so and for us it's just another it's just another new offering right and there's people are coming up with these new offerings to try to fill a void somewhere and at some point all the voids are going to be filled and and then they're going to create something else and they're going to call it something special and tell you it's something special um, you know, and really when you're looking at it, let's just say, for example, you get 75 more feet per second by shooting, you know, a different yeah. cartridge. Well, really, when we're talking about the difference between 3,000 feet a second or 2925, you know, you're not talking about a whole lot of, of, of difference. That's going to be about 3% or 2.5%. Mm-hmm. So really you're 2.5% faster uh, you know, which is your 75 uh, feet a second. It's, it's not, it's not a giant difference. And I know people try to put the numbers in your head and 75 feet a second faster. It's the new coming of Jesus. Well, okay. Uh, that's fine and dandy. And obviously they're trying to, you know, pump up and sell something. In my opinion, I want to use what works. I want to use what's comfortable, what I know, um, four two two three, for example. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with two two three, but there's a lot of really good offerings for yep. ammo in two two three, and there's a lot of good bullets you can load. Yep. And are you going to go as fast as the Valkyrie? Well, of course not. Um, that you know, it's it's a smaller case, less case capacity. Uh, it probably reminds me a lot like the the AI, you know, yep. the the two two three AI. So yep. if you wanted to run something like that, you could definitely run the 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 two two four Valkyrie. Um, it's a slick little case, but I don't think it's re- reinventing the wheel. Yeah. You, you know, I'm not going to shoot it in my bolt guns. I'm not going to shoot it in my ARs. I'd rather no. just shoot straight two, two, three, yeah. um, and go from there. Yep, I tend to agree. I, I train a lot with the two, two, three Ackley. Uh, I didn't do an Ackley for speed. I did it because the brass doesn't grow near as much, and I don't have to trim it. And I'm just going through brass a lot. I saw. Um, I, I do like 22s, so the 2.2 Valkyrie would fall into that, as well as a 2.2.3 or a 22BR or whatever. They seem to be relatively easy and pretty stinking accurate. Super accurate. They've got the, with the Burger's got a new 88-grain bullet that's the same BC as a 105 hybrid. Hornady's got a, the 75-grain and a There's a lot of offerings out there. I mean, they both, there's like a bunch of 22 bullets that have killer BCs, so they're they're fun. Um but, you know, I don't know. Oh, we got music coming on. Um, therefore, I'm not going to tell you not to get one, but there's a lot more options than just straight 223. So yep. anyway, that'll be that question. Last question for this one. Um, 
William James Thornton asked uh, if we could discuss the economics of traveling to competitions and what it means to be a sponsored shooter. Good um, question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Economics of traveling to comps could could yeah it could be all over the place. Let's take this one for example. Our airline tickets are seven eight hundred bucks. Yep. From east coast or west coast to east coast um you the economics of missing work uh missing family there's there's a lot of intangibles that are not a dollar amount of just time away i've got young kids in fact my six-year-old about cut his finger off yesterday so i missed i missed seeing that one so <laughs> he's, he's okay but uh, i think so i think anyway so just there's some there's some things that are dollar amounts and there's things that are intangibles that that's a cost as well um yeah uh, hotel, we were Lee was great. Put us up in a killer spot, you know, last couple of nights for free. But we're we're getting a hotel the next handful of nights, um, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night back in Nashville. Uh, you're eating generally. You're eating out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you're paying car mat, rental. You're paying match entries. We're sitting in a rental car, uh, gas. And I mean, you can go down the list. You know, if we add it up, you got about uh, $2,000 worth of expenses if if you're traveling from West Coast to East Coast. Uh, yep. Because you got $800 travel ticket. Uh, you got, I mean, if. if sometimes less, sometimes more. Sometimes less, sometimes more, because you got maybe baggage or or whatever, which which adds in there as well. You have your rental car, which is three, 350 bucks. Yep. Typically, you have a hotel, which is another three, 350 bucks, um, sometimes more, you know, 120 bucks a night, it starts to add up. Yeah. Uh, typically, if we're going from the West Coast or from the East Coast and you're going across country, you have to leave a day early and you have to get back the following day. So, yeah. for example, you know, we, we ended up doing a training uh, on Thursday, in, you know, anyway, but, uh, for example, a normal match, if we come over here, we, we fly out on Thursday. So now we've missed Thursday. Yep. That's day one. Uh, we get to the match on Friday. Uh, that's day two. Saturday and Sunday. So now we're up to four days. Then you fly back, and you usually are traveling all day, so you don't get back late anyway. So you're literally gone for five full days yeah. on, on a match. Um, plus, you know, let's just call it $2,000. Yeah. Uh, the, the the travel expenses they do add up uh, and that's why you know with our sport and, and everything uh, you know some of these companies are offering uh, contingencies they're offering uh, you know stuff like that uh, for running their product they're offering basically rewards or mm-hmm. you know compensation for being part of their team yep and that's that's kind of a really cool deal uh, I, I really think that's awesome it helps you you know, uh, put some of that back into your, you know, into your, your pocket, into your, your family account. And so, yeah. for example, someone had, someone mentioned the other day, oh, well, you know, Jake doesn't need that off the prize table uh, or something like that, or, or John doesn't need yeah. it off the prize table. Yep. And so it would be really interesting to, to say that if you're, if you're in that situation or if you're also trying to feed your family. So, if, yeah. you know, are you going to say that uh, that person's wife and kids don't need that or that person's wife and kids don't deserve that? You know, where's that line at? It's a really, 
it's a hard line. It's a hard, it's a hard comment. But mm-hmm. if you do well at a match, I most certainly think you should get compensated for that. Um, we are, in fact, in a competition. Um, and yeah. there's hardly any competitions around the world that don't, uh, don't reward that, you know, the winners of those competitions. So yeah. if we're talking it, playing, it's weird. if we're talking training and one day matches and local matches, that's a different, but, absolutely hundred percent. But when you're, when, when these matches, the, the match directors are advertising as a national level. And I know some of you guys are like, no, it's still a game. Well, yeah, it's a game, but, but so is yeah. tennis and football and everything else. And I'm not equating precision rifle with the NFL. It's not the same. We understand, but when they're advertising a big match and it's a big thing and and in different industries i know hunting looks at this a lot like hey you guys are shooting 20 times the rounds we are which products are breaking which ones aren't i get questions like that a lot and messages and stuff and so there's an influence across different parts of the sport um, because of just the amount the volume that we're shooting and the areas we're traveling to and the conditions we're shooting in with rain and grit and nasty stuff where a hunt you shoot two rounds a comp you shoot 220 in, in sometimes terrible conditions. So there's some crossover. There's good information to learn. It's good for the industry. So your match director is advertising a big match. It is it is nice to offset some of the economics of traveling to competitions. Yep. If, if it's going to cost you two grand to go, it would be nice to break even with a, with a win, you yeah. know. Um, <laughs> and that's about exactly what happens. And, and at, so, at best. <laughs> so, so we say this, or at least I say this, because part of his question was, you know, Where's the difference for sponsored shooters or yeah. uh, something like that? And the travel costs aren't aren't different for sponsored shooters. Um, yeah. There's there's very little um, of that. Whether you stay at home and shoot a national level match, or you travel, you know, there's there's zero difference in the amount that you're going to make in that. Besides, you have to offset those travel costs, and so. For example, a sponsored shooter that stays at home and shoots a $2,000 match and he gets a $500 contingency check uh, from XYZ company uh, for winning that match. He's still going to get that contingency check if he travels across country, but he also has to pay for his travel costs. So the Mm -hmm. sponsored shooters don't really have any sort of, uh, you know, free travel costs. At least least I don't. So. Exactly. Um, it's it's hard to you know it's hard to say. Well, he's sponsored, and you know I've even heard people say, uh, well, uh, you know about the AG Cup. Well, you know Jake and John got their AG Cup for free anyway. No, no, no. I I sent my PayPal just like all the other shooters did. So uh, that's exactly the the difference is that you know we still pay for all of our stuff. We still uh, you know uh, have to pay for our travel, all that kind of stuff. It mm-hmm. just it just happens that we it, you see it more uh you see the stuff that we take off the prize table you see the the checks that we hold up and it's it sounds or it looks a little bit different than it really is in and i guess maybe i say that you know slightly biased because i'm saying it and and so on <laughs> and so forth but you know yeah. that's you know that's the reality is is all this travel we we paid for yep. we actually booked our tickets at the exact same time we yep. put our own credit cards in yep. uh or debit cards and and booked them and they were not cheap <laughs> yeah exactly they were I, not cheap i think some of it, um so uh, economics of traveling we um obviously when you're flying it's expensive i yep. can drive to a couple matches a year and i'm flying to everything else mm-hmm. i'm flying to canada i'm flying to east coast i'm flying to texas we're flying all over the place first match of the year was down in arizona 
you're just you're all over flying the place. Flying there, flying to Colorado. Yep, all over. So so we travel a lot. However, we're just talk with some guys down here, and we asked how many mat two day national level matches they could drive to within an eighty hour, hour radius. What was eight it? hours? Was it ten or twelve? They had they they were counting up at least twelve. Um, and we have one or two. Uh, yeah, I think I can get. To, I think I can get to two. Jake can get to one because one of the ones that I can get to is in seven hours is the one that Jake runs, so he can't shoot it. So, so, and that's it's just it is neither here nor there. It's just geographically, we it's out west. Everything's bigger and spread apart out here. Everything's tight and lots closer together. So, um, uh, as a as a uh, traveling to competitions from the west coast, it's very expensive, um, in comparison to to here. Um, what it means to be a sponsored shooter in relation to that is a lot of these companies, when you're talking, they want to know your match schedule and how many matches you're going to shoot last year. They shoot the following year. They would like you to shoot. I mean, it's some of some of the contracts we talked about. You know, like, hey, we'd like you to shoot 12 national level matches. We'd like you to shoot eight of these, or just depending on who you're talking to. Obviously, if a company's going to sponsor you and provide you with some product, which obviously offsets the cost of, we're talking about just travel fees. Well, now maybe we get, you know, barrels. Uh, we get barrels provided, or, or some things that we're very thankful for. So it, yes, it can offset those costs a little bit. But they still want you to travel to a bunch of matches. Exactly. So your product is getting used around the nation, and people can see it and see it doing well. Uh, when you're talking on average, I can drive to a couple. So say I'm flying to ten at least at two thousand, twenty thousand dollars of travel a year, which I don't like to add up, add up or think about. Yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of painful. I just assume not know. <laughs> <laughs> I I go one offs, and I like I said, I know people. Uh, don't like it, and I've gotten hate for it before, but it is nice to offset some of those costs by doing well and potentially winning some, some awesome prizes from sp- some sponsors at matches. Some I keep, and some I have I sell. And, Absolutely. Likewise. And, and that's, a, that's a controversial subject, I think. I've talked to companies and said, hey, I, you know, I've won this, I've, and I've always, I, I usually sell it to shooters in the sport at a discounted rate. And and it's not a ton of products. It's a few things here or there. So it's not ruining the market, but um, it's, it is what it is. I'd like to shoot for $20,000 at AG Cup every time, but that's not where we're at right exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, and, and bottom line is, um, you know, if we are on this topic, I guess we'll yeah, just dive into it. Yeah, uh, well, here comes the hate. <laughs> here it comes. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? I don't mind. I, I, would, I, I have no problem taking a little bit of hate to support my family, you know, and, and if, that's, yep. if that's what, uh, you know, these guys want to give hate because we're putting some food on the table, then, then okay, um, you know, yep. I, I bring it on. Yeah. So for, for part of this, too, is his when when – so say person XYZ takes a steel target off the table, and I donate to a lot of prize tables. I donate, I donate a lot of gift certificates yeah. and targets all over the country to a lot of matches. And so I'm in the exact same boat as a lot of these sponsors. And I've talked to a lot of sponsors, and I've heard their feedback and their thoughts on it. And after they really think about it, they're like, you know what? Yeah, I guess that is true. And, and, and the, 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 really the point behind it is, if you give someone to someone, you just pick someone random at the match to give them, let's just call it a, a, a scope. You give them a scope to someone random between 1 and 100, and you end up picking the 54th person. That 54th person uh, may or may not like that scope. 
you know, so let's just call it, let's call it a 50% chance that they're going to run that scope anyway. And so if they do, good, and they're going to run it and they're going to like it, but maybe they don't. Maybe they put it on a backup gun and it sits on the safe and never gets used. Maybe they sell it and so on and so forth. Um, but the bottom line is, is that if someone picks that scope up and they sell that scope and they sell it on gun broker or whatever, wherever you want to sell it, you sell it to your buddies. Somebody is spending their hard-earned money on a product that they want to run, they want to use. And so now they're happy with the scope. You're happy because you're able to, to take some of that and, and book the next trip mm-hmm. or whatever. And now you have a, a bunch of people because now they're going to post about that scope on social media and say, this is an awesome scope and get their buddies to buy one too. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's really a butterfly effect of good things to happen um, you know, when that particular uh, product is in the right hands. And that's the, and that's the beauty of it is that when it's in the right hands, it's, it's, you know, posted about, you get all the social media tags, you get people doing it. And guess what? When you spend your own money on something like who's going to go buy a car and not drive it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. Yeah. I'm going to buy a car that I want and I'm going to use it. I'm going to drive it. And that's the exact same thing with, with anything in life is when you buy it, you are a little bit more invested into it, right? You're a little bit happier with that particular purchase. Mm-hmm. That's just my personal opinion. I, I, you know, obviously I donate a lot of stuff. If, if one of my gift certificates is given away or, or sold or, or whatever, uh, it, it, for me, it doesn't bother me at all, but maybe I'm in a different situation, I guess. Uh, I know some companies, it absolutely bothers them. And they've mm-hmm. told me it bothers me when that happens. And so then... We, we have the conversation. I just say, well, why? Well, it's just that's that's not how this should be. Okay, well, tell me why. And, you know, mm-hmm. then we go through a conversation of of what's going on. And it just bothers them because it's always bothered them, right? There's, there's Maybe mm-hmm. there's no rhyme or reason behind it. It just, it just bothers them that yeah. a, a shooter would do that. Now, bottom line is uh, it's, a, it's donated to the, to the table, um, you know, and I give a lot of stuff away every year at these matches. Mm-hmm. You know, a hundred, hundred and something thousand dollars between you know my two matches. Yeah. It's a lot of products, scopes and chassis and guns and you know binos and backpacks and reloading gear and bullets. I mean, a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm super super happy when these guys can you know these shooters, they've they've earned it. You know, they've shot mm-hmm. well enough to earn their picking line. And so we go from first all the way down, and, uh, you know, we, they, they pick off the price table. They all get one item. Yeah. And then I also save a bunch of stuff for the ROs and, and let them, mm-hmm. you know, let them, uh, you know, scavenge through some stuff as well, and they really enjoy that. Yeah. So it's, you're right. It's, it's kind of a controversial topic. Some people completely agree with it, and some people say, well, no, I still don't like it, and, and that's okay. Everyone yeah, has, it's you pretty know, polarized. Everyone, it doesn't everyone seem like their own lot, opinion. It doesn't seem know? like there's a lot of middle ground. It's yep. either like, hey, it's, this is what it is, or else it's there's the hate towards the... Yep. I know I've gotten a lot of flack for saying some things like that, and it's like, well, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to lie to you. It's just, I love <laughs> the sponsors, and it does. It carries weight to me, whether I see who sponsors these matches, that's and right. when guys message me and, and, and ask for recommendations, if it you know, if there's a product that I see these guys, the companies that support the sport, I'm recommending those companies and, and, and you see their name and there's been a lot of companies built on this sport, um, yep. d- by doing what they've done. So it's, it's not, 
there's a lot of positive that comes from different ways to spin it. But that that's a that's a that's a bit of a side topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it is a hot topic, and 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 we've gotten crap from different areas and support and it seems like that's a, a common thing so we man i appreciate the sponsors whether whether right. you disagree with it or not you, it's still we know who's we know who's supporting the sport we know who we're recommended i mean it's you know there's there's a lot of good products out there and it's fun to recommend the ones if i have a choice i'm recommending the ones that support the sport 100 percent. so um what a couple any other thoughts on this is the last question of the deal but what what does it mean to be a sponsor shooter to you um so i i'm you know i'm fairly loyal on all my sponsors i've been with a lot of my sponsors for a really long time and they're all friends and just good people i know them i know their families and that's important to me um you know to be a sponsored shooter i i guess it it means that you're representing that company now, whether you're representing that company because you got free product or rep- whether you're getting a discount or whatever, it's, it's, all, it's all part of it. But in my opinion, that's all. A sponsored shooter is, is kind of a form of advertising. Yep. So the shooter is going to be that walking billboard, just like a car around a racetrack, and they put a big Tide logo on the front of your car. You're, you're kind of that logo. Uh, you know. So when you are a sponsored shooter, um, or if you would like to be a sponsored shooter, if that is something that intrigues you or makes you giddy inside or happy, whatever. <laughs> um, because some people, they just want to have a logo on their jersey. Yeah. And, that's, and, and, you know, we've, we've, we've heard from those people as well. Well, um, I'm, not, I'm not even good enough to be a, a real high-level shooter. I just, like to have the, I just like to wear the logos. Okay, perfect. That, that's great. Um, so some people like that, and some people, you know, want to – kind of be that free agent and uh i will say that you do have a little more freedom if you're a quote-unquote free agent yeah uh because there are times uh and i have been very fortunate uh for example to work with hornady for a while and and they have some awesome products and and some really good bullets that i'm super happy with but just to play devil's advocate and throw it out there uh maybe i wanted to try a new whatever bullet you know uh well, you know, Joe Schmo, yeah. you know, 110 grain instead of an A tip, we'll call it a B tip or whatever. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, maybe there's there's an opportunity to try something out there. Um, obviously, I'm with Hornady. I shoot all Hornady bullets. Uh, that that's what I do as as part of being their sponsored shooter. Um, and I'm very, very happy with it. But I will say that, you know, you have to kind of turn turn off some of that creativity because you you are locked into that. Obviously, I'm not interested in hurting anyone's feelings. I'm not interested in going against any contracts that I have. I'm not interested in mm-hmm. in breaking any of those relationships. Again, I'm loyal and I and I like those relationships. And so it's it's just different. But just keep in mind, if you are interested in being a sponsored shooter or if that's something that intrigues you, uh, there is there is that drawback to it. There is that's that's part yeah. of the deal. You know, that's that's part of it. Yeah, I, I've learned that in not ideal situations over the years is is as a if a company approaches me it's the first time it's like real exciting it's all it's always great you love yep. hear from people because they believe in you i love it but um it's true you get um you know you 
whatever product it is, you you know you can't try the newest this or the newest that. Yep. You, you know you you know you're tied in into support those companies. Feelings. Yeah, you don't want to hurt feelings, <laughs> and you're doing a deal. A company supports you, you support them, yep, and, right. and everybody ebbs and flows. A new company comes out with, you mentioned the ATIP, and that's the right now that's the hottest, yep. highest, most consistent six mil bullet. Um, for the time being and 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 but other companies are doing the same thing it's always back and forth so the yeah, next company right. will step up the next company steps up and it's just back and forth back and forth and that's what's awesome about the competition of these companies is is everybody knows when you know you get sierra start doing it and detax and then the hornady and then burgers obviously taking notice everyone's doing these just going back and forth and pushing the pushing in the right direction for all of us mm-hmm. um but yeah that's uh that's uh, that's uh, maybe some people don't think about that i think it's good to mention i, I do get questions like how do you get sponsored okay. and 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 then do you send out letters to companies and 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 for personally i never i never have approached a company um i have built relationships. We've had some discussions, you know, so maybe the question will come up in, in person like, Hey, well, are you interested in doing something? But generally those companies reach out to you if they want to work with you. Yep. If it's generally you're some, maybe you're running their stuff already. And then they say, Hey man, we thank you for your support. And I've had that, those things happen. And there's a variety of reasons, but, but knocking down the doors of companies and trying oh, to convince like the them worst form. you're the best, <laughs> you're the best shooter. I can't personally, say that's great or or, no, that, or right. you want to well i don't mat. i don't want to <laughs> i gotta be careful what i say here <laughs> i want a club match i'm the best ever well yeah or different divisions or whatever you know and it's it's fine but anyway i'll leave it at that but, yeah so and you know bo- bottom line companies is, know who's companies know who's shooting well yeah that's right and 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 we're pretty lucky obviously we've been doing this for a while um, at, at a high level, I would say, uh, I have this conversation with, with a lot of, a lot of people and a lot of my, you know, close buddies that maybe don't have sponsors. I'm, um, I'm maybe helping them, you know, get to that uh, situation. And the number one thing is personal relationships, right? That's, that's the number one thing you go to a match and you meet owner of JC steel targets and you start chatting with him and, and, and talking to him. The first thing that comes out of your mouth should never, ever be, hey, do you want to sponsor me? I want a club <laughs> match. Uh, that, that's, that's almost like the worst form, and a lot of and those this happens. get thrown. Oh, that, so I, it's just crazy. Uh, so we, I wish we could tell more stories. Yeah, I, I, I wish we could tell more stories. But uh. I, I'm fortunate to own a business. I see email after email after email after email about how they want to be sponsored. They want me to give them something. Um, and they have a YouTube channel that they're starting or they're on Instagram with 901 followers or whatever it ends up being. And, and you know, they want uh, X, Y, Z. And typically, that's, in my opinion, that's the wrong way to handle it. Let your performance do the speaking. Um, let the companies come to you. And let me, as JC Steel Target owner, hey, who is Joe Schmo? Um, gosh, I you know he's just been a good guy. He's he's on the podium a lot. I see him doing really good things in the industry, promote, promoting the sport. Um, and he's not just asking for free stuff because he's a of a, a good shooter or an X Ranger or a, a trainer or a YouTube sensation, whatever mm-hmm, the yeah. situation is. Um, 
let those guys come to you. And I think what you'll find is when those guys come to you, those sponsorships will be substantially more meaningful. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be important for you guys as sponsored shooters because maybe instead of a half off or a 20% off coupon or whatever the the deal is, now you might say, hey, maybe I'm going to get a free jacket out of this or whatever. And then they're coming to you because they want to invest into you instead of you forcing that investment on yourself. Um, and, and I hope that makes some sort of sense, but I find that those uh, deals or those sponsorship deals, most of the time they're handshake deals. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while you get a good deal. That's a, that's a contract type of a deal, which I think most all of them should be anyway. Yeah. Uh, but you'll, what you'll find is those will actually be a substantial, substantially more meaningful in the long run. And then you can build that relationship and for Lord's, for, for God's sake, please, don't flip-flop every year and do something else and tell everyone how it's the new greatest and this and that. Jeez Louise. <laughs> yeah, talk, to, <laughs> talk to Swanee. He, he gives out a nice smoking jacket with his sponsorship. So give you some beard oil and a smoking jacket. Beard so. oil and a smoking. So and, uh, yeah. and, and bottom line is companies like to see that, you know, that level of commitment. And some of the companies we work with, that's why they approached us, say, hey, we're really interested in you because we see your level of commitment and your loyalty to these other companies and to these other people yep. and how you've worked with them and how you've created products with them. Yep. And so then it, it, it starts to you know kind of build on itself and work on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of part of the whole sponsorship sponsorship game. But it's, it's yeah. actually kind of a weird one. But I it, guess bottom is. line is just let your... Let your performances speak for themselves. Let people come to you um, and go from there. And if you are if you are a high-level shooter and you're winning match after match after match, that's a big match. National-level events is, is what I'm talking about. Then uh, you better believe people take notice. You yeah, know, people yeah. take notice and, and you will, uh, you know, be, be in there. But yeah. just focus on that and practice and practice until you get there. Yeah. No, I think that's good. Um, we could go down that road if you guys want to ask more questions. <laughs> I don't know. We'll get into trouble. I love it. I I yeah, really like a, the topic. It's a good topic. We should probably dive into that more. It's something I'm I'm interested in too. I'm interested in the sponsorship aspect of things and yep. and the different deals and that's something that I'm I'm interested in and, yep. and I think a lot of high, higher level shooters. I even have you know some of the highest level shooters talk to me about uh, X Y Z and. Hey, what do you think? Is this fair? Because you are providing a, a advertising base or a, a platform for them to try to pump it up and promote it and go from there. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a fun topic uh, for me. Obviously, I I'm I'm not at liberty to talk about any of my deals or or any of John's yep. deals and or vice versa. It, you know, yep. we just uh, you know, but we're definitely happy to help any way we can. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the main thing is let your performance speak for itself. Obviously, try to be uh, be a nice guy. Don't be don't be throwing fits. We all get mad when we have a bad stage, and just have a moment, suck it up, chin up. I'm working on that. Chin always up. always working on that. And then it's okay <laughs> to be mad for a minute. Don't take that out on RO. Don't that's take that right. out on anybody. You can go be mad, have your minute, minute moment, but that's just basic. 
basic humanity and some guys are a lot better that than others and and so there's just the general basics you guys all know yep. um but but no I, we did not i get asked how did you get sponsored and, and with this thing is like who did you send letters to who did you ask we didn't do any of that nope. so um i think that's a question I, that i get asked off and on so exactly let those let those sponsorships come to you um as a shooter because they will be more meaningful and also companies that are listening or companies that are out there uh, bottom line is do your research on what on who you're supporting yeah. as well and who you're sponsoring because there's a lot of really uh, undiscovered talent out there or, and there's a lot of um, there's some you know there's, there's some people that you should be sponsoring people that you shouldn't be sponsoring I guess that's probably the best way to say there's, it there's some loud guys with, with <laughs> that are outgoing that that uh, yeah, it might not be the best choice. And it, it just it goes you know, both ways. As, as so. a business, I do the exact same thing. Um, Ask around, you know, kind of, kind of talk to people and don't you know never you do. I don't ever take one person's no. one person's you know opinion to heart. You know, take everything with a grain of salt because everyone gets along differently. Obviously, um, you know, try to figure out what they do and then just check for yourself and talk with them and see how how you guys get along, how your relationship is, yep. and then uh, put it in writing. Put it in writing and hold people to it. Yep, yep. And we're all, the whole, it's interesting with marketing. Obviously, social media is important and all that stuff. We're all learning that together is, is the balance of that, what's beneficial, what's not, mm-hmm. what helps shooters, what exposure is good, and all that stuff. It's always, that's all stuff we're all learning and working on. And and it, that's different and strange, but it's it's fun. It's fun to work with good yeah, companies. It it's really good to work with good companies. And like you said, like I'm gonna be, I have a I have a a company switch coming up, which I don't like. Um, we'll talk about it later. Sometimes it's not because of personnel; it's for other reasons. And um, it's, it's it wasn't because there was a more money one way or the other. It just was a some reasons I will talk about, some reasons I won't talk about, but sometimes things happen, things change, yep. uh, relationships, different things change. So um, just don't flippantly switch. I agree with Jake. You get guys that say, hey, this is the best bullet ever. No, this is the best bullet ever. This is the best. <laughs> for, this is the best. For this. four years in a row. This is the best this. And it's every <laughs> single time. Like, I do not want to switch unless I need to. Yeah, that's right. Every once in a while, they'll, 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 maybe there is a deal that you can't refuse, and you have a discussion um, you know, and and with the company you're with, and with and everything, you talk it through, and then just just be good about it. Yep. You know, and 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 people are really understanding. Um, just just be good about it, and don't. I agree with the don't bounce around. Obviously, reality is reality, and there are some changes that happen. Um, and there's a lot of good products out there. So that's a we can dive into more of that later. There's a yeah. lot. This could go a million different directions. Yeah, we could talk could. about this. We could make notes on this and talk about <laughs> ten different I, venues for and, four or five hours. I, don't I say, I say that, I say that don't, <laughs> I say that don't b- bounce around. And, and I guess the reason I was saying that is just because it seems like there's people out there that will run, let's just call it a chassis. And so they run a chassis, and uh, they'll run chassis, you know, in 2014. And then they have a different chassis in 2015, and now it's the, check this out, this is the best. And then for whatever reason in 2016, now they got a different stock that they're running, and they're, check this out, this is literally the best. You guys cannot refuse that. Now here comes 2017, they're back to a different chassis. Um, 2018, they're running a different stock. It's like, okay, are are, are you, you know, what, what, it's, 
stop it. And, um. and some of that, some of that <laughs> are guys that love to switch gear. Yep. If you want to be that guy, which is super fun, run every optic. Run, you know, there's yeah. a million great optics. There's a million then great be bullets. Be a free agent. Be that guy. Just don't take a sponsorship because it does, like Jake said, you, once you're in, you're working with them. And if you want a product change, then you work with that company, come out with a product change. And part of the reason uh, I say slow. that is because that, that does ruin relationships. I have some friends that have switched a lot of times. And the only one that they're really friends with now is the current one, right? And then, you know, and you hate to say it, but you're like, gosh, in nine months, you guys aren't going to be friends anymore. (laughs) You guys aren't going to have a very good relationship. Why? Because he's going to go do something else. And so, and that's the only reason I I say it is, is, again, it's about the loyalty. It's about all the different things that you have to you know, figure out. So it's just, it's a very hard, it's a very hard discussion. Figure out what works for you. Um, I, I love the talk. Really, I do. Yeah. Ask more questions. We'll talk about it. I don't, uh, I just, I'm sure there would be craps, but it's, it's fine. It's, we've got it before. We'll get it some more as part of the deal, but it's fun. It is fun to talk about. It's a unique thing. Um, I know when I was uh, here, we're taking exits and doing directions. Take a left here. Um, when I was getting into this, I was super interested. I remember asking, ask, talking to Jake and talking to Matt Brousseau and talking to these different guys. Hey, how does this even work? Is there yep. sponsorships? Like, I, I, you, I mean, you just don't know. And all you know is it's expensive. And it's still expensive, and we have sponsors. So Exactly. We, you know, that affords us a little more travel, per se. So, anyway, it is an interesting topic. Um, it is fun to talk about. It's ever-evolving it's, it's ever evolving and changing. It's fun, to, it's fun to discuss with companies. It's fun to talk with other guys and figure out what's going on and how to it's, it's part of the game. Yep. So um, if you have any more questions, you ask those, and we'll, we'll hit them in a future episode. But this is long. We're almost an hour and a half, guys, so I'm sorry. We'll cut this off. Um, uh, it's Friday. We're headed to the finale. Uh, I want to try to do some more interviews. It was fun having Austin on. It was our, yep. kind of our first one. We, it, I wasn't sure I was going to go. We got some good feedback. Let's do and, some more. And, yeah, and hopefully we can do some more. It's fun to hear different people's reloading ideas, training ideas, just basic things from different opinions of the, of the top-level guys. And that's what we'll try to stick with for the most part is is, is uh, the really top guys that we respect and uh, and like. And so it'll be fun to have those guys on. I want to give a, a quick shout-out to Mr. Chris Giddings. We, uh, my uncle got a great bull elk, so I'm kind of wrapping up hunting season. And we packed that game-changer uh, full of that Get Light stuff that he oh, sells. Yeah. And it was it was it was great. It really was. Um, it was cha- t- it's a really it's, you take a big bag hunting, and it's pretty stinking lightweight. I wouldn't take it on a two week sheep hunt, but when you're day packing up ridges and glassing all day, it is a really is a really neat bag. So props to Chris. Um, it's a, it's a cool idea. It's it's a real stable and it's real light. So thanks again, buddy. Um, and I think that'll wrap it up. So we'll try to get this out. I'm going to try to email this to my wife tonight, which is Friday, and try to get this thing up maybe tomorrow or something, and then we'll do a couple more. So anyway, this is uh, VP Precision, episode number 16, and we will talk to you guys later. I thought it was 17. 17. That's right. 17. Toodles. <laughs>